we are uh, starting this series, um, the Advent series, as Richard was introducing it. It is a time of waiting for the coming. Uh, Everybody is waiting for this Christmas for various reasons. Like when we were kids, um, literally I was waiting um, for my new dress. That's the time when we get new clothes and um, all these special foods that they would make and the time off from school and uh, meeting our friends. Uh, Probably some of you would be looking forward for similar type of things. Um, As an evangelical community, people might think it is the coming of the Savior who came to save the world or the sinners, who came to give his life for the sinners. That is true, but is it all uh, the need for a Savior? If that is what this Advent is all about, then uh, Jesus Christ could have just come on Good Friday morning, died, and after three days rose up, and he could have left the earth. Or if we had been Christians, the very moment we got saved, God could have just beamed up straight to heaven. So what is Advent is all about? What were the Jews waiting for? They were waiting for a promise, a promise that has to be fulfilled. They were waiting for a promise, and that promise is a Messiah. And the coming of the Messiah was what they were waiting for. And when this Messiah came, they said the promise was fulfilled. So I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verses beginning at 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It's a very familiar passage probably would have had in school place. It goes like this. And there, was a sh- there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, The shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. The shepherds were told good news, that they were waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. And they were told that this promise has been fulfilled, that is, the Messiah has come. The word Messiah is a Hebrew word. In Greek it is called as Christ, which means the anointed one. And usually this is given to people in the Old Testament for priests and kings. And these people were connected with justice and righteousness. They were the one who ruled or looked after the people of Israel. So this is the promise and this is the gospel that we have received. That is, the Messiah has come to establish righteousness and peace. 
The gospel is a new order of government established by the Messiah. It is an establishment of a kingdom. And this is what these people whom Richard was showing in the picture were waiting for. Simeon was waiting for this Messiah. And Mary was waiting whenever she sang a song to her cousin Elizabeth. This is what she's saying. And the shepherds were waiting for him. And so did Jesus started off his ministry by saying, the kingdom of God has come near. This kingdom of God is made of righteousness, peace, and joy. While establishing his kingdom, God was making peace with individuals and within a community and between communities. Now, peace often happens in, in, in conflict zone. This wall is quite familiar. Um, this wall exists in Belfast. And you could see some tourists going there. It has become like a tourist attraction, probably uh, all of you know. And wherever there is a conflict, that's where peace exists. If there is no conflict, then there is no peace. What is a conflict? Conflict happens when there is a clash of interests or a clash in action when people take, or if there is a clash in values. But the irony here is they have built a wall. They call it the peace wall. But Jesus did not come here to build a wall between the enmity between humanity and God or between communities or within communities. He was trying to create peace in the midst of the conflict. Jesus himself is the peace who exists in the middle of the conflict. As Paul talks, he says, there's a conflict that's caused a division between man and God. And this conflict was caused by humanity. He says, we made ourselves enemies of God. When Romans chapter 5 verse 10, he says, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So Jesus was making peace with God by establishing his kingdom here. And once he established his kingdom, he imparts the values of his kingdom to his people. And he says, if you belong to this kingdom, you should love one another as how I have loved you. And if you love like this, then people would know that you are my disciples. And he continues to say that, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called as children of God. In the Jewish tradition, people who completely understands the Torah and obeys the Torah, and one who is faithful to God is called as children of God. Now Jesus says, if you make peace with people, you are children of God. In other words, you complete the Torah and you are faithful to God by making peace with people. So this kingdom of God, where is this? Is this going to come or is it already here? Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near you. It's in close proximity. It's here and now. And the fullness of kingdom is what we are hoping to. But it is here and now. So when we are into this God's kingdom, we are called for a mission. 
When God chose the community Israel from Egypt, he did not call them just to establish them as a nation and to enjoy all his blessings. He called them for a purpose. He wanted, them, wanted those people to be the light to the Gentiles. He was keeping them as a model so that the Gentiles around them would know what the real kingdom of God is like. And by looking at them, their nations have to be transformed. So if you are called, or if you say, if you are being saved, you are saved for a purpose, not just to enjoy God's blessing, but we are called for a purpose. We are on mission in God's kingdom. So how do we bring peace in conflict, or how do we wage peace? It's, when you talk about peace, it's between two individuals or peace between communities. If it is between individuals, there are a few uh, aspects that you can look into. One is avoiding. The peace wall is the typical example of avoiding. Um, you don't want to face all the um, bad things that will prop up while trying to negotiate peace between two hostile individuals. So you just try to avoid. But the consequences is um, things will always there's more chances of things recurring. And the next one is accommodating. And uh, if you want to maintain the relationship, then you want to just accommodate people. But this again uh, gives a chance for things to repeat again. Still you will have troubles. Or the person who is trying to accommodate will feel burdensome. And the other one is compromising. Because you think there is no one solution, so we try to meet halfway. Okay, I'll compromise some things, you compromise. But if there is no sin involved in such kind of peacemaking, it is okay. But then again, there are some drawbacks. Uh, the other person might manipulate the situation. That brings strain to the relationship. The other one is competing. That is, there are only two outcomes. One is our will and our solution. This is a very aggressive type of uh, peacemaking. You know, one dominates or it's very uncooperative between two parties. Um, it always brings strain between relationship. But sometimes this has to be done when morality is, is at stake. Next one is collaborating. You know, this is not uh, compromising or uh, competing, but this is trying to bring in all together, satisfying everybody. Uh, this requires a lot of negotiation and uh, flexibility and a lot of determination, and um, you need a lot of um, communicating skills for this type of peacemaking. But because it wants to please everybody, most of the time we try to uh, not focus on God, but try to focus on people, trying to bring peace between people. But the most um, challenging one is, if you've been hurt by somebody, how do you bring peace? That's where forgiveness comes into picture. When we got married and we were living in Dunmary, and we were living in a, a new development, and um, in one of the apartments there was... Um, I wouldn't call her old lady, probably she must have been in her 60s. And she was on her own, and she was very busy, she was active, and she was a volunteer to look after the entire development. 
Um, so she was very friendly. And um, she was very busy going in and out. Uh, most of the time she would pick our grandchild. So um, I, I and myself and Anita, we thought, okay, why don't we just go have a chat with this lady and get to know her. Um, or even God might create a chance to share the gospel with her. So uh, one day I went around to meet her and then started to know her. And she told me about her family. And she said she doesn't have her husband. Her husband was killed by the UVF, and um, she was very much troubled. Um, and she said, uh, people came and prayed with me, and uh, God has given me peace. And she's got um, two sons. They're all grown up. They're all married. And she has never talked about that to her, their children, like not bringing any hatred. Um, they know that her father has been killed, but she has brought their children in such a way that they don't have hatred towards the other people. And listening to her story, um, it was uh, challenging for me. You know, I could see God's peace and how she has been part of God's kingdom and how she is building God's kingdom. And I came away blessed when initially I thought I'll go and bless her by sharing the gospel. And she was a great witness. And unforgiveness or bitterness um, as David mentioned a couple of weeks back, it is a very, very hard aspect in life. But there is always consequences if you don't forgive people and, or hold grudge against them. You know, most of these sicknesses, if you ask GP, is all psychosomatic. It's all related to the bitterness, the hatredness, and all those stress that they're going through in their lives. And um, these things will just corrode like acid or they'll eat you like viruses. So, the Bible says the peace flows like a river, and it's, it's got a spring in the, at the cross. And though it is difficult, but that is where you have to go. There's no other choice. You have to go back to the cross and get the peace from God and look at Jesus and see how he has forgiven you and how he has made his peace and how much suffering that he has gone through to make that peace between you and God and between, even between men that you live with. And there was a relative of mine who had uh, not a good terms with one of his family member, and I was very young at the time, and my dad was talking to them, and they were having like discussion, and then my dad was saying, whenever they're talking about this issue, um, you see... Um, look into what the Bible says. And immediately just jumped up and said, life is different, Bible is different. Don't bring Bible here. This is a different situation. That's what people think. You know, what they read on Sunday and they read the Bible, they forget. But actually when they face a life situation, they don't want to connect it. But this is very crucial if you want to be part of God's kingdom, to make peace with one another. But the passage we read, it said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. So Jesus was not only bringing peace between man and God, but he was bringing peace to the entire earth. <clears throat> um, now, you, we will not be living in a place like um, Afghanistan or Iraq or any other countries where there's a lot of strife going on. 
we may not be living in a country where there's a lot of civil war or you know, extreme poverty or there's corruption to the core. So what was this peace that we are talking about? And what was the peace that Jesus was bringing into this world? I want to take you back to that situation where Jesus came into this world. And these are Roman coins. It depicts Emperor Augustus. The period when Augustus was there, it was called as Pax Romana. It is Roman peace. And it lasted for 207 years. And Caesar Augustus was known for that. Sometimes it was even called as Pax Augustus. It was called as the golden era of the Roman Empire. They had peace, well-established peace. And that's when these angels come and say, today for you the, uh, the Messiah has come who is going to bring peace to you. What's the need of peace of Jesus who is going to bring when the whole emperor, empire is on peace? So what was the peace that the Romans regarded? The absence of war, they thought it was peace. But how did they manage to have no wars? They had their troops on all their borders. And uh, wherever there was uprising going on, they would use force and violence to quell that so they would have peace in the empire. And their motto was, if you need peace, prepare for war. When there was peace in the middle of Rome, there were armies protecting their borders and fighting going on in Spain the same time when Augustus was ruling. And the peace is always connected to security. And their security was based on building fortified cities. And they had governors in each province to maintain this peace. And they had very strong laws and security forces, which is similar to police, what we would have here, to use their law and force to prevent any uprising. And they also said the citizens of Rome have freedom, but their freedom was controlled by the rules and Roman domination. And they also used the upper caste people of each community to join them in using power. King Herod would be one such example. They used people, they used the distinctions in the society and they made alliance with the uh, upper class people and they roped them into exercising power or the community. So if there was any uprising, these guys who are dominating, they would use their force to quench and try to maintain peace in the emperor. So their motto of domination included that they would use predominance of order over real peace. And they will break any um, <clears throat> uprising coming out from any minorities. And they will kill violence in that way. That's why Jesus says in Mark 10, verse 44, he says, those who are supposed to rule over the Gentiles, lord it over them. So the peace was combined with the oppressing rule of the strong people. The enemy was combined with the powers and authority. So the Roman peace was darkness. That's where Jesus comes in as a light. 
But do you find any similarities between what happened in the Roman Empire and what is happening today? Still, you could see the nations which have got powerful military. Uh, they exist in countries and they try to protect their countries by having the troops in different places. And they justify their claim by saying it is for the peace of the nations and it is for the peace of our country. We have troops in all those places. That is how the imaginary peace is being maintained in our situation. And they keep on reviewing their border and immigration controls and try to prevent people so that their peace is not being disturbed. And they say it is a free country, people can have freedom, but still they have their own rules. And as long as you are within their rules, you have the freedom. And if you are outside, then the law comes into action. And again, they use forces to control any demonstration. You saw in France, you saw in England, when students came up and you saw in Dublin. And that is what you see. They use forces and they say, we're trying to keep peace. So the powerful people today, though they are minority, they try to control the whole system. They try to control the market. And they try to control the rule. And uh, they expect people to support them. And if anybody raises concern, and they're just used force to keep them at bay. Aung San Sui in Burma would be one such example. And Liu Xiaobu in China would be another person. So what was Jesus' peace then? And why was it announced to the shepherds? Jesus was creating a peace and to know this peace, you have to go back to Old Testament and what is, it talks about the peace. The word they use there is called shalom. And shalom means it is not just the absence of war, but it is like a bodily health and prosperity and contentment, rest, restfulness in the community. And it is also given to uh, people who do not have hope a new hope of being reconciled and brought into agreement with others. So it is a harmonious equilibrium that has been created in the society. So shalom is not a negative term, like it's an absence of war, but it is a positive term. It is like bringing a wholeness to a person. And still this greeting is used in most of the Arabic places. When they say salam alaikum, it is that salam is from shalom. That's the root word for that. When they say salam alaikum, it means the peace be upon you. And the person responds back saying malaikum salam. That means the peace will be also on you. So that is what they, they greet to each other. That is, when they say peace be upon you, is your entirety is it okay. Your well-being is fine. It's not just your inner peace but it's all your physical, your mental, emotion, everything is okay. And this is the peace that Jesus was bringing in. And this is the peace that the Jews were expecting when they said the Messiah is going to come. The other passage that 
uh, rings along with this is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 67, where we read, The son, the child is born, and I'm skipping a few lines to go to read, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and there'll be no end. And uh, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. Isaiah was writing in the time of King Ahaz, and um, during his time, Assyrian kingdom has been oppressing them. And he is promising that a new prince is going to come, that is, Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, is going to come, and he is going to come and rule with righteousness and peace. And this same context, Matthew is quoting again, and he's saying, from that same place where Hezekiah is going to come, which is the Galilean region, and from the same place, Jesus Christ is going to come. And he is going to come and establish righteousness and justice. And the shepherds were the lowly people in that time. So Jesus was sending a message whenever the angels went and announced that, saying that God is with those lowly people. So any move that Jesus made in the Bible, it sends messages that he is trying to bring change in the society. So justice is very closely associated with peace. And peace is also described as it is a deep commitment to the work of justice. And peace looks towards future with hope. When Jesus said to those uh, women who came to touch his garment, he said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And to that another woman again, when she came and washed Jesus' feet, he said, your faith has saved you, go in peace. He was not just saying that their sins are forgiven, but he, were, he was assuring them that these people were marginalized by the society. He gives them hope, he puts them back into the society, and they were treated equally. Today we may not be having such kind of discriminations here, but still, like wherever we are, we are there to build God's kingdom. And today, our immediate neighbor wouldn't be like uh, somebody who has been socially discriminated. But in all this globalization, our next door neighbor is somebody living in Asia or Africa or Latin America. So your lifestyle matters a lot. The way you use your energy or the way you spend or on food or how much you waste your food. And everything affects people there. And we are supposed to bring hope in those people's life by changing our lifestyles. And we also see people, migrants, coming and living in this country. We see a lot of people standing in the middle of the traffic and giving out newspapers. Think that people are here to claim benefits? No, they are not eligible to have any benefits. And think about their situation. They come to a foreign land. Most of them wouldn't even speak English. And they're here to make their living. They're so desperate that they leave their families and come here and live in this foreign country to make their living. And what are we doing with about that? And all these projects that we do in the church, like How Can We Love You and Parent and Cloudless, the Good Book Club, and everything, all this speaks about that God's kingdom is being built. And we, when we 
want to be as people of peace, we are trying to work with these people to establish God's kingdom in their lives. And God's kingdom is not just built inside this room, but everywhere, wherever you are working, whether you could be working in the hospital or on teachers or you could be in the business. And uh, you have to be people who make peace individually and within communities. So each of these projects that we do is equally important to what somebody is standing here and preaching. Because God's kingdom is built outside. And you come here to get equipped and you go out as people with a mission to build God's kingdom. So how did Jesus do that? He made the initiative. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He did the initiative. And he says, Whenever he delivered the people of Israel from Egypt, I've seen their distress, I've seen their cries, so I'm sending you Moses. So he takes the initiative. So it's our duty that we have to take the initiative to reach out those people, to bring peace, that is to bring righteousness and justice. And he incarnated himself. He was not sitting up there trying to make peace. The Bible says he left all those glories, he incarnated himself with us, and he worked the peace from bottom towards upwards. And uh, that is what we are being called to do. We are supposed to incarnate ourselves into their situation where peace is needed. And uh, Jesus did not promise that when you have this non-violence, when you have worked for this peace, uh, you will get a reward. Definitely you will face suffering, and that's what Jesus faced. Uh, Jesus was even crucified for what he was trying to do. And uh, the reason why we face this suffering is because there is this old world, and this is the new world which God promises. And because God's kingdom is already here, there's been a merge. We are living in an interface. And because of the interface, we will definitely face suffering. And um, that is why Jesus even said, you know, when you face suffering, you have to love your enemies. You know, when... He says the victim takes the initiative. When somebody strikes a cheek, he turns to show the other cheek. If they take the coat, he says, give your garment. And by that, you make the oppressor or the person who causes the victim to think. And you take him on board. And um, he becomes one with you. He becomes a partner with you. And then he realizes, why do I go on hitting this person? He's defenseless. And why do I take his coat and garment? He's already naked now. And so, instead of um, hating the enemy, you try to uh, bring an end to the enmity. And what is the motivation for all this? The thing is, it is God is at work. Peace is brought by God. He's doing the initiative. So you are in partner with God. And by doing this, you are building God's kingdom. Jesus got the strength to carry on doing this peace because of the love of the Father, and also he was getting um, energy from the kingdom that is being realized. So this should be our motivation, that God's kingdom is being established. And then by doing peace, you are being light to the Gentiles. People will be attracted to you if you try to incarnate yourself with people who are, need peace. 
and then tell them this is what the kingdom of God is. And if you do that, people say, I want to be part of that kingdom. But if you start off them saying that Jesus Christ has come to save the sinners, you are a sinner, you have to be saved. doesn't ring any bell for them. But if you are trying to establish God's kingdom, then people know what you are doing is a great thing because everybody in this world is looking for peace. As Richard was saying, there are so many songs that talk about peace. And if you are there trying to establish peace by doing justice and righteousness and giving hope to the people, then people will know, I want to be part of that. Then you tell them, we are doing this because we are establishing a kingdom and there is a king. And they said, yes, I want to be part of the king and I want to know that king. Then you tell them, this king is a holy king and then you need to be saved to be part of this kingdom. And then we can join together and build this kingdom here. And so I would encourage you as you go into this week, to this work, don't think you're just going there to earn money or doing a routine job. You're going there to build God's kingdom and stand with people and take the initiative. Incarnate yourself there. And you would face suffering. There's no doubt about it. But you always get this motivation. And God will bless you and use you as people of peace.